The text for this morning's sermon is 1 Timothy 1, the verses 15 to 17. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the King of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, at Christmas time we like to give and to receive gifts. It's one of the much loved traditions of the holiday season. Have you ever wondered where this tradition came from? Started as a reenactment of what the wise men did. They came from the east following the star that they had seen in the sky. They asked the leaders in Jerusalem where the newborn king of the Jews was. When they found the baby Jesus in Bethlehem, they bowed down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. For many people, the giving of gifts is a long-standing tradition. Many buy gifts for their family members, their relatives, co-workers and friends. And it's especially fun to buy gifts for little kids, whether they're our children or grandchildren, our nephews and nieces, or the kids of close friends. So neat to see the happiness on the faces of children when they open their presents. Everyone likes receiving gifts, and many experience joy in giving them. Yet in the midst of the hustle and bustle of gift buying and giving, of dinners and of parties. We could easily forget what Christmas is really all about. The focal point of Christmas is not on giving presents to each other. It's not even on remembering the gifts that the wise men gave to the baby Jesus. The focal point of Christmas is Jesus Christ, God's gift to fallen humanity. Our gifts do not always bring joy and satisfaction to those who receive them. Sometimes we buy people the wrong gift. At times kids receive so many gifts that they hardly get played with before they end up in a box in the basement. But that's different with the gift God gave us in his son. Jesus came to give life To all those who receive him, he came to give real and lasting joy to all who believe in his name. The birth of Jesus Christ brings real comfort and joy. To a large degree, our society no longer understands the Christmas message. You know, beloved, there's a reason for this. A basic reason is that people don't know Or they don't want to admit that they are sinners. 
And if you don't know that you are a sinner, then you don't need a Savior. If you don't know that you deserve to come under God's judgment, then why should you look for someone to pay the price for your sins? And so this morning we'll focus on the reason why Jesus was born as a baby in Bethlehem. I preach to you God's word under the following theme. Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. We'll consider our sinful state, Christ's saving work, and the glory due to God. This morning our text is drawn from one of Paul's letters. It's from Paul's first letter to his fellow worker, Timothy. Timothy was serving as a young pastor in Ephesus. Paul writes in this letter to advise him how to deal with certain issues that were arising in the church there. 1 Timothy 1 makes it clear that Timothy was confronted with false teachers. In verse 3, Paul urges Timothy, Remain in Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. The chapter ends by speaking about some who have made a shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander. The false teachers in Ephesus got, taught up and got caught up in debates about minor things like myths and genealogies and other controversies. Some wanted to be teachers of the law without understanding what they were talking about. In contrast with this, in 1 Timothy 1, Paul lays out the basics of the gospel message. He summarizes the heart of the gospel in one line. It is that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. If you ask different people why Jesus came into this world, you'll get a variety of different answers. Some say that Jesus came into this world to be a teacher. He came to teach us about God and about how to live a Christian life. He's a great teacher like Moses or Plato or Socrates. His teaching has provided us with truth propositions and inspiring thoughts that we can meditate on all day long. Others will say that Jesus came into this world to be an example for us. If only we asked ourselves, what would Jesus do? And if we imitated him, we'd all be able to live together in peace and harmony. Just imagine if people would turn the other cheek when wronged. And if they prayed for their enemies and fed the hungry... By following Jesus' example, we would do away with so much strife and suffering. The world would be a much better place. Now, beloved, we don't want to deny that Jesus came into this world as our teacher. And it's also true that at times Jesus called us to imitate him, to follow the example that he set for us. But these were not the primary reasons why Jesus came into this world. If Jesus' sole purpose was to teach us or to set an example for how we are to live, then why did Jesus need to suffer and die? What does Christ's crucifixion teach us? What is it about Christ's example of dying on a cross? 
that we need to imitate. Striking to see what the gospel accounts say about the reason why Jesus came into this world. In Matthew 1.18, the angel told Joseph that Mary would bear a son and then told him, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Mark's gospel records nothing of Jesus' birth or childhood, but in his gospel, Jesus' first words are an announcement that in him, the kingdom of God has come near to his people. And in one of his first miracles, Jesus assures a paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. John 1 records the words of John the Baptist. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Thus the Gospels make it clear. Jesus was the Savior who came to save his people of their sins. There was a time in his life when the Apostle Paul did not see Jesus as the Savior. Paul saw Jesus as an imposter. He saw Jesus as a false teacher. Paul thought he was doing God a service by persecuting the followers of Jesus Christ. There was a reason why Paul's heart was not ready to receive Jesus as his Savior. It's because Paul did not know his spiritual condition. Paul did not see himself as a sinner. He thought he was doing quite all right in the service of God. He figured that God was happy with him because he lived his life according to God's commandments. Paul writes about this in Philippians 3. He explains that at one time he thought he could earn his own righteousness before God. Paul believed in himself, in his own good works. He explains that he was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Paul thought that because of his zeal for God and his obedience to the law, he was righteous before God. In 1 Timothy 1, Paul gives a short personal testimony of his conversion to faith in Jesus Christ. He says, I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. Paul was not exaggerating when he said this. He was present for the stoning of the first martyr, Stephen. He was ringleader in a terrible persecution against Christians. Acts 8 verse 3 says, But Saul was ravaging the church, and entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Acts 26 verse 11 shows us how he tried to force others to blaspheme, and how he persecuted the followers of Christ even to foreign cities. Then Paul came to know Jesus Christ. We know his conversion story of how the Lord spoke to him from heaven on the road to Damascus. He asked Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? 
And in the verses leading up to our text, Paul explains the change that took place in his life in this way. He says, I received mercy. And the grace of our Lord overflowed to me. Mercy is undeserved kindness. Although we deserve punishment, God in his great compassion spares us the judgment we were due. Grace is unmerited favor. It's receiving God's righteousness at Christ's expense. Having our sins charged to his account instead of paying the price for them ourselves. Paul's personal testimony of God's abounding grace to a wretched sinner like him is basically the story of every Christian. Beloved, we're not in a different category than Paul. We are all sinners who deserve to come under the wrath of God. In our text, the apostle takes his personal experience and he applies it to every Christian. He says, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Paul identifies himself as the foremost, as the chief, as the worst of all sinners. He personalizes what Jesus Christ came into the world to do. And beloved, Jesus did not just came to deliver sinners in general. He came to save you and me. To understand this, we need to ask, what is a sinner? A sinner is someone who sins. But what exactly does that mean? What exactly is sin? We talk about sin often enough, but do we really know what it is? The Bible uses many different words to describe sin. To sin is to do wrong, to commit injustice. By sinning, you take advantage of another or treat him or her unfairly. Sin is sometimes described as trespassing or transgressing. We cross a boundary we should not cross. We go beyond our limits. Sin can be pictured as missing the target or stumbling and falling or wandering off the right path and getting lost. These descriptions show the painful consequences of our sins, that sin leads to estrangement from God. At heart, sin is disobedience against God. It is breaking his commandments. Many of our sins involve hurting our husband or wife, our parents or children, our church community, our friends or neighbors. Yet ultimately, every sin is an offense against God. 
Think about what Joseph said when Potiphar's wife wanted to take him to bed. He said, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Think of David's confession when he committed adultery with Bathsheba and murdered Uriah. He cried out to God, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Beloved, we need to realize that sin is not just something we do. It's what defines who we are. Some might say that people are sinners because they sin. The truth of the matter is that people sin because they are sinners. We're all conceived and born in sin. The Belgian Confession talks about our original sin in Article 15. Describes how corruption lies deep in our hearts. It says that as a root, it produces in man all kinds of sin. Describes how sin continually streams forth like water welling up from this woeful source. The point is that our corrupt hearts continually produce more sin in our lives. Some have difficulty with the idea that redeemed and renewed Christians are called sinners. And while it's true that the Bible often uses the term sinners to describe the ungodly and those who have not been converted to the faith, such usage is not universal. Please note that in our text, Paul uses the present tense to describe himself. He says that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. By the time that Paul wrote this letter to Timothy, he was nearing the end of his life. It was some 30 years earlier that he'd been converted on the road to Damascus. Paul had served as a faithful apostle of our Lord Jesus Christ. He had gone on three missionary journeys, and he'd suffered much for the sake of the gospel. Yet Paul admits, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. Even as a redeemed and renewed saint, Paul knew that he remained a sinner. His need for the gospel did not go away when he first received it. Paul knew that every day he transgressed the commandments of God. And that every day he needed to pray, forgive me my debts. Christianity is the only religion in the world that is for bad people. Every other religion says that people can in some way or another become good enough for God to accept them. Buddhism teaches the need to follow an eight-step pathway to reach nirvana, the state of bliss. Islam has developed Shi'ira law, a fixed code of behavior all Muslims are to follow. Judaism teaches the need to live according to the law of Moses. Roman Catholics believe that through prayer and good deeds, they can contribute to their salvation. In all these faiths, it's what you do 
that makes you acceptable to God. The Christian faith is different. In it, we acknowledge we are sinners in need of rescuing. So how is that with you, beloved? Do you acknowledge that you're a sinful person? Does it bother you that again and again you transgress the Lord's commands? Do you humble yourself in prayer before God because of your sins? Are you willing to confess to the Lord the specific sins that cling to you? Beloved, do you truly repent of your sins? And are you fighting against them? It's really important that we understand our sinful state. We need to know our sins. For unless we do, we will not see our need for a Savior. We'll deal with this in our second point. Christ's saving work. As we approach Christmas, it's really important to ask the question, why did Jesus come into this world? Why did he leave behind the glory he had with the Father in heaven to come to earth and sojourn among sinful people? In the middle of a chapter where Paul warns against false teachers, he summarizes the gospel in a few simple words. He says that Christ Jesus came into the world to save Sinners. That's what Christmas is ultimately all about. So what's it mean that Christ came to save sinners? From what does Jesus save us? And what exactly is salvation? The Bible uses many different words to describe salvation. Sometimes it's described as redemption. We talk about Jesus being our redeemer. To redeem something is to pay the ransom price for it. In the Bible, people sometimes fell into debts they could not repay. They could be sold into slavery to pay what they owed. If a relative or friend wanted to, they could redeem such a person from slavery by paying off their debts. That, beloved, is what Jesus Christ has done for us. Peter says that you were ransomed, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. Christ offered his body and blood on the cross to pay the price for our sins. The word to save also means to heal. Our sins not only offend God and create a debt with him. Through our sins, we hurt our neighbor and we damage ourselves. It's because of sin and its effects that we are broken people. We often try to cover that up by putting on a mask and pretending that everything's okay with us. Yet our brokenness shines forth in different ways causes us to try run away from our past, 
we experience pain and shame. It causes struggles and hardships in our relationships. We try to find comfort in various addictions. Yet the only way to be set free from our brokenness is in Jesus Christ. He came, beloved, to set the captives free. He calls us to come to him to find rest in his healing work. At times, salvation is described as reconciliation. To reconcile means to restore unity to two parties who were at odds with each other. Sin served as a barrier between God and us. It was because of their sin that Adam and Eve were banished from the Garden of Eden. God cannot abide with sin. So we needed someone to deal decisively with sin so we could be restored in our relationship with God. The good news is that Jesus Christ came into this world to deal with our sins. Paul says that it is God who through Christ reconciled us to himself. He describes how God made him, that's Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Thus it's Christ who has made us one with God again, who has restored us to fellowship with him. Beloved, what we need to understand is that none of us deserve salvation. Why should Jesus Christ have come into this world to pay the ransom price for our huge debt? Is there anything in us that might attract God to us so that he would be willing to send his only son into this world to serve as a sacrifice for our sins? Can you think of any reason why our holy God might desire to be in a relationship with us Miserable sinners? What motivated God to punish his dearly beloved son by requiring Jesus to bear his wrath against all our sins? It's not because of how good we are, beloved. It's not because of anything we have done. It is grace, pure grace. The gospel message is so comforting. Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. Paul acknowledges that he was the foremost, the worst of sinners. Yet he received mercy for a reason. It was so that in him God might display his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. The point is simple. God could save Paul, and he can save any of us. No sin is too big for God to forgive. No sinner is too sinful for God to save him. 
No guilt is so great. It's beyond the reach of Christ's saving work. If God could change Paul's heart, so he went from being a persecutor of the church to one of the greatest missionaries who ever lived. And he can also save you and me from our sins. Please note, beloved, how Paul introduces the gospel message in our text. He says, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Paul refers to such a trustworthy saying five times in his pastoral letters. A trustworthy saying is something you can depend on. You know it is reliable, that it's true. Paul wants us to accept the truth of what he is saying. He wants us to believe it with all our hearts. Why do you need to believe that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners? Because this is the way of salvation. When Jesus was still on earth, he told his disciples, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In Acts 4, Peter and John were arrested and called to give account about why they were preaching in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. They explained that there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. The only way to escape the wrath of God and be received into his favor is to believe that Jesus Christ came into this world to save sinners like you and me. It brings us to our final point, the glory due to God. Paul is most grateful to God for his saving work, that God showed him mercy, that the grace of our Lord overflowed for him, that God was willing to save a wretch like him. And so in the final words of our text, Paul breaks forth into a song of praise. He says to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Thus Paul glorifies God for his wondrous work of salvation. Please note how Paul describes our God. He calls him the king of the ages. Paul hereby acknowledges that God is sovereign. Before his conversion, Paul had tried to destroy the church. But God, who's in control of everything, changed Paul's heart. He changed Paul from being a blasphemer and persecutor of the church to being an apostle and a dedicated servant of Jesus Christ. And so God used Paul not to destroy, but to establish his church. Our Lord is in charge of everything that happens in this world. Our comfort is he has promised to turn even our struggles and sorrows to our benefit. For God works all things for the good of those who love him. Paul continues his doxology of praise by confessing that God is immortal and invisible. 
The fact that God is immortal means he cannot die, that he will live forever and ever. Being invisible means we cannot see God. To this, Paul adds that God is the only God. There is no one else on the same level as our God. There is no one as greatly exalted as our God. And thus Paul ascribes all honor and glory to God forever and ever. For he and he alone is worthy of our praise. Beloved, this morning we've heard the Christmas message that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. We've seen that God has given us the greatest gift imaginable. Jesus Christ, his dearly loved son. God sent him into this world to save us from our sins. So that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Let us praise God for his wondrous salvation work. Let us show forth our thankfulness in word and deed. To God be all honor and glory forever and ever. Amen.